You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to quickly tell you about our amazing sponsor, 10th Ward Barbershop. Proudly serving the historic 10th Ward in Lawrenceville, PA and surrounding areas, 10th Ward is a full-service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. But you don't have to take my word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves, Carmella, and the fiend Bray Wyatt frequent 10th Ward when they're in town. Right now, like a lot of businesses, 10th Ward Barbershop has had to temporarily close its doors due to Governor Wolf's order, but they'll be back in full swing soon. In the meantime, you can book your future appointments or purchase a gift card for future haircut and beard trimming needs. Give them a follow on Instagram at 10th, that's 10th Ward Barbershop, or visit them at 10thwardbarbershop.com and book your future appointment with the Fiend's favorite barbershop. 10th Ward Barbershop in downtown Lawrenceville, PA. special quarantine episode of Foundation Radio. Today, my guest needs no introduction. He is the podfather of professional wrestling podcast. Uh, Conrad Thompson is here. Conrad, thank you so much for joining us, man. How's it going down there in Huntsville? We'll start crazy, but glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. I guess uh, I guess life must be great down there at the Conradison, right? I mean, you have like 17 bedrooms and three elevators. Is that right? No, unfortunately, that's rumor and you know, but uh, yeah, I've had fun. It's been... Uh it's been interesting, I suppose. Not necessarily uh, my favorite thing to be doing, but uh, it, it beats a lot of other setups, I'm sure. Yeah, trust me, I get that, man. Uh, so how much of this has really affected you overall? I mean, I know a lot of the stuff that you do with Bruce and Eric is all pretty much digital as it is, so it sounds like it's really just business as usual with you right now. Is that the case? As far as the podcast goes, yeah. I mean, it's not a lot different, really. Uh, real life course is a lot different for everybody so you know the real life gig and, and just day-to-day life is, is a lot different right now but podcast is just uh business as usual well i'm glad to hear that i'm glad it hasn't affected you uh in any worse than it has anywhere else that's actually that's great news uh but i guess we can finally put to bed this idea that bruce uh and all of his bullshit about your 18 cars and everything else is uh it's all rumor and innuendo i've been blessed but uh, I'm, I'm proud of whatever i have just like anybody else but no he's just having fun you know, I've been really excited to talk to you uh, about WrestleMania 36 and the Firefly Funhouse match and this whole new technique that they have going on, plus with the Boneyard match with The Undertaker. 
Do you think this is going to open up a brand new world for them to really explore and navigate a lot of these new techniques and avenues that they have? Or uh, I know the big kind of rumor mill has been going on at the Sting and Undertaker match finally will happen. So I guess I really wanted your opinion on the Firefly Funhouse match in general. And what do you think of all this new concepts and these new ideas that they have? Well, I think less is more, you know, I mean, it was definitely great for what it was, but I do think, uh, I mean, it, don't get me wrong. I really, really enjoyed it, but the Firefly Funhouse piece, specifically, I think only works with the fiend character and persona and the undertaker's boneyard match really works with his. I don't know how much that's interchangeable. Like, I don't know that we necessarily need to see Charlotte Flair playing mind games with Sasha Banks one day, for instance, but, but I do think you sparingly, it can, it can be very, very effective. My, my worry is that it becomes the new crutch. You know, it feels like sometimes in wrestling or not just wrestling, but just life. When people like something, they, they want to overdo it and they just sort of drive it into the ground. And my concern would be that they go back to the well too early, too often to diminishing returns each time. You know, like I really enjoyed Tiger King. I don't know if I need 52 episodically <laughs> episodes of Tiger King, you know, the, the one right, right. Seven or eight episodes or whatever it is. Seems like that's enough. Well, it's funny you mention that because I just read a news report today that Netflix is going to be airing a new episode of Tiger King on Easter Sunday uh, with Joel McHale. But I really don't know how much more of that television show I need. I feel like the story was pretty well summed up with the entire thing, but I don't know. I don't know how much more of that I actually really want to ingest at this point. Again, I think overall I was really excited about just even having WrestleMania right now with everything being so uncertain and everything that was happening. I mean, you know, a part of me is disappointed for somebody like Drew McIntyre who doesn't have the ability to have the huge pop that he should have like Kofi had last year. But at the same time, I'm, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm grateful. And I feel like that seems to be the overall sentiment for a lot of people. Would you agree with that? I think everybody was really thankful that, that they went forward on Sunday night. That was certainly the feeling at my house. But it was very much a damned if you do, damned if you don't type situation. I mean, realistically, would, would people have been happier had we had the, the full WrestleMania card, but they saved Drew McIntyre's win for another time? I think you would have seen people even more upset then because, you know, right, it's right. easy to say, oh, well, they can just do it at SummerSlam. Well, who's to say there is going to be a traditional SummerSlam? Exactly. It could be our new normal for the foreseeable future. So do the best to, to entertain us and, and make the best of a bad situation right now. And, and we'll just be hopefully optimistic for the future. I think that's all we can be right now. I think one of the things that really bothered me too, about this entire scenario, um, you know, was a lot of the performative outrage that was happening, you know, pre coronavirus cancellations, you know, everybody was shitting on Goldberg about winning the title and yeah, you know, he's too old. He's too this. And then Roman Reigns shows back up in the picture and everybody's like, Oh, Roman's getting the belt back. And then, you know, Roman Reigns makes a really difficult decision to back out of WrestleMania for a very legitimate reason. And then everybody shits on him about it. And I, I just become so frustrated with Twitter in general that, uh, uh, you know, also, I guess my response is, I should credit you for this, uh, the the comment that the take a poop with your pants on, uh, I really I really would like to know if I could have your permission to use that going forward to the Twitter trolls. You need to credit Cassio Kid for that. It's borrowed. Cassio Kid is the first person I've heard say that, and he's done it for at least a decade. He cracks me up every time, and, and I've adopted it. And, more people have probably heard it from me now, but that's just because of the audience size. It's, it's 100% his. All right, so let's just dive in here and, and kind of get into it. I know that uh, I had read a really great article about you in ESPN about how 
Uh, you became sort of the podfather and all these things happen in your life. But realistically, you started out as a mortgage broker. That's what you do by trade. Uh, and just like me and thousands of other people, you're just a, an avid wrestling fan, a pro wrestling junkie. And I, I'm just curious to know how things got started for you. And specifically, uh, they mentioned that WrestleMania 4 was the, the jump off for you. Uh, as a child for, you know, major wrestling events and sort of lit the spark for you. And and I just, I'm curious as to why that event in and of itself was so special for you. Well, you know, it's a different time and era, but 1988, you know, if you wanted to, if you had a couple of young kids and you wanted to keep them occupied, you could go have some, some normal, peaceful adult time. You would take them to the video store, whether it was a movie gallery or a video express or a blockbuster video and you would rent them a couple of VHSs and there's your babysitter for a few hours. <laughs> it was uh, WrestleMania four. It was a double tape VHS. And I'm sure they thought, Hey, this will keep that little shit occupied for a long time. So my introduction to uh, professional wrestling and I absolutely loved it. You know, at that age, I was very much into GI Joe and he man and, and typical other stuff like that. So I really liked these larger than life sort of cartoonish characters. And man, you get an introduction to the ultimate warrior and to the macho man and you're hooked right away. So I was a super fan right away and knew that this was for me. And uh, I was probably uh, the most hardcore wrestling fan you could ever imagine until sometime in late 92. And I started to just peter out. I mean, I saw Hulk Hogan come back on the Monday night raw in the early 93, but completely out until the, uh, the, the fall of 1996. And I'm find myself just sort of channel changing and I happen across Hulk Hogan in all black. Wait a minute. He's a bad guy now. And I was all back in, uh, the internet was still in its infancy. So I started to look it up and I found all the news sites and all the rumors and message boards. And I heard about ECW and I learned about the NWO and I saw that one half of the rockers was now the world champion and cactus Jack now had a mask on and all the way back in. And so 1997 and, and 1989 are probably two favorite wrestling years because that's when I was really getting back hot and heavy into it. So. Uh, I've carried it with me ever since, and, and I've sort of stepped in and out of wrestling ever since. I quit watching probably again in 06, and then uh, started back up a little bit in 2011 with the whole CM Punk pipe bomb thing. Oh, yeah, man, that's classic. In, in early 2013, because I started collecting old wrestling memorabilia that I grew up with, and then one thing leads to another, and now I have a podcast and I talk about wrestling every day and I can't escape it. And I would have never planned. <laughs> man. It's so funny. You say that uh, some of my earliest memories with my dad are going to a place called Clyde's video store in Fairless Hills, Pennsylvania. We would go, it was this little tiny shop and we would go in there and we would literally rent every wrestling movie we could find WrestleMania three, four, five, all of the Saturday night stuff anything they had, we could get our hands on. We would rent and we would just literally run those tapes until they were broken. And I just remember from a young age, one of those constants in my life was pro wrestling and how much I, I just loved it. It was just amazing. And, and just, I, I know you mentioned ECW, which is, Totally, uh, from what I thought at the time was a Philadelphia thing, but now looking back at it, it's just this amazing uh, th a piece of, of wrestling history. Uh, I know how difficult it was for us here in the Philadelphia area to get it. My grandmother lived about 10 minutes from, from you know, Center City in Philadelphia, but I remember it would be on like a, you know, fucking Tuesday night at 2 a.m. and you'd be lucky if the reception came in, right, if the, the goddamn sky had to be clear. How How difficult was it for you in Huntsville to get it? Same thing. You know, I, uh, stayed up late enough to see it the first time after that, I just set a VCR and, and was ready every single week. And, and it quickly became my very favorite 
you know, to see, uh, one of the competitors walk to the ring, drinking a beer, smoking a cigarette and hit people with a stick, the coolest thing ever. And then you see the ladies rolling around doing a cat fight and their thongs and you're a 15, 16 year old boy. This is the greatest thing you could ever ask for. And I'll never forget. I saw Finnegan get as a referee, give a guy DDT once. And then they yeah. did a barbed wire match. And I'm like a barbed wire match. I mean, I didn't grow up in sort of that era of wrestling. I grew up you know, watching Hulk Hogan, there were no Hulk Hogan barbed wire matches. Sure. There was no right. barbed wire matches, but you know, dusty roads to me was, was polka dots at that point. But then I discovered it and, and fell in love with ECW and then got into tape trading. And before you know it, I'm watching IWA, uh, King of the death match stuff from when Terry Funk and explosives and, Oh man, I remember all that shit. The first time I saw some of that stuff, I just could not believe that humans would do that to themselves. And I just, ECW is just such a niche thing in a lot of respects, but man, I couldn't get enough of that shit. And, uh, I just have nothing but good memories about ECW as a kid, man. I should have definitely not been watching it as, you know, a 12, 13, 14 year old kid. But, uh, you know, as far as ECW goes, one of the originals, uh, the franchise Shane Douglas, uh, it's kind of one of the biggest reasons you got into podcasting in a lot of ways. I know there was a, there was some kind of um, uh, like a Kickstarter or GoFundMe that you contributed to. And that's, uh, that's kind of how you got your foot in the door. Is that, is that right? Well, I mean, I guess I really started down this line uh, by collecting a Ric Flair robe, but an authentic real Ric Flair robe was listed on eBay. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I negotiated with the guy over the course of a few months and then I got it. And then once I got it, you know, once the news sort of wore off about a week later, I'm like, wait a minute, what am I going to do with this thing? It's not like there's an easy way to display these and with a Ric Flair robe. So I decided, Hey, I'm going to try to find like a mannequin, I guess, and then put like a replica belt on it. That'll be cool. Maybe in the game room downstairs or something. So I did some research and found that the, the, the world's premier, you know, belt maker was a guy named Dave Milliken. And upon looking, I realized, wait a minute, this dude lives in Tennessee and I live in Alabama. I'm going to reach out to him and see about ordering a belt. So sure enough, I do. And fast forward, and I saw on his website, he had the old Ric Flair nameplate from the original Big Gold. So I asked about it. Holy said, no, shit. I don't own it, but a friend of mine does. And he said he would never sell it. And I said, well, hypothetically, if he would sell it, I would be a buyer at this price. A few days later, I get an email from him saying, hey, turns out my friend would sell it for that. Here's his info. Y'all figure it out. So I get the nameplate. And then once I realize I have the nameplate, I'm like, I'm going to go find the belt. I- I'm going to stick this on the real belt. So I started a treasure hunt of sorts. I find the belt and figure out how to acquire that. And now I'm off to the races and I've got the bug of, Hey, this is fun to hunt down these old ring used items. I should keep this going. And somewhere along the way, I found the ECW belt and around that wow. time, I saw there was a documentary on Kickstarter, uh, about, uh, ECW. And I thought this is great because I really loved the rise and fall of ECW that, the uh, the WWE had put out probably a decade before. And I thought this is a, an opportunity to do that again, but with an independent filmmaker, maybe without a WWE slant. So I was all in. So one of the, the perks of contributing were if, uh, if you're one of their top contributors, they will come screen the movie with you at your house before it comes out with an ECW wrestler of your choice. And they listed off, I don't know, a dozen guys and Shane Douglas was one of those guys. So Shane Douglas came to the house and I uh, had a bunch of friends over and we watched it in home theater and at the end of it, we got to sort of pick his brain, not just about the film, but just about his run, not only in ECW, but through his career. And I guess I sort of became a, a low key interviewer and, uh, the format for the podcast was kind of born just accidentally. 
wow, that's amazing. Like, I just, I can't even wrap my mind around that. So you, you do this entire thing with Shane Douglas, and then Jim Cornette gets involved, and there was some kind of, you know, sort of the same idea. You paid him a little bit of money to come and ask questions, and it seems like that was really the genesis or the spark for the idea of, of something to wrestle with with Bruce Pritchard. Would you would you say that that would be accurate? Well, so the belt maker, Dave Milliken, who uh, sold me the belt, he was really good friends with Mark James, who was the co-author of all of, Jim Cornette's books. And apparently there was some sort of booking or appearance or whatever, not too terribly far within driving distance for Cornette on certain, on some certain day. Uh, so he reached out and said, Hey, Cornette's going to be X number of miles away. Would you be interested in doing the, the Shane Douglas thing that we just did a month or two ago with Jim Cornette? I'm like, are you kidding? Uh, my, I grew up with Jim Cornette shoots. Absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. We, we do it from there. And then at the end of that, you know, Corny eventually recommends and says, Hey, you should, if you, if you enjoyed this with me, you should do this with so-and-so. And so it became a, a deal where I sort of got, uh, affiliated with a bunch of different guys and had them, you know, come to the house with, a, I don't know, a dozen of my friends and everybody kicked in and we would watch old wrestling and, and shoot the shit. And I had heard about this happening with like Jimmy Hart going to Royal rumble parties and, and and, and Kevin Nash hosting summer slam parties. And it was like, how does that even happen? When you become familiar and, and you have guys who will sort of vouch for you, then you have opportunities to do stuff like that. And, and I jumped at the chance and I'm glad I did. And eventually, uh, through, you know, meeting Rick, Rick had an opportunity to do a podcast and he didn't really know what that even meant. So he asked me to sit in with him and, uh, just ask him fan questions on the very first episode. And at the end of the episode, CBS dug it and Rick dug it and asked me to come back. And of course I did. Yeah. Through that process, I got to know a lot of other people, including, you know, our, our hosts of guests, which would be, you know, we had Jim Ross on and we had Eric Bischoff on and we had Tony Schiavone on and we had Bruce Pritchard on. So all the guys I co-host now, uh, a podcast with, in one way or another, I, I met through doing the Ric Flair show the first time. I guess in my brain, it's just so unbelievable to think about how something that to you maybe seems so small at the moment became such a consequential thing in your life and really just changed the trajectory of everything you thought that you were going to be doing. It's really, it's, it's quite amazing. I know that you mentioned Eric a couple seconds ago, but I don't know. Um, I don't know if you remember, but about two years ago, uh, when you and Eric did your first uh, 83 weeks event in Baltimore at Jimmy Seafood, I was there and I took the pictures for the event. And I, admittedly, I am the largest Eric Bischoff mark you will probably ever meet. Anything the guy does is just it's gold. And I just remember sitting at the table with him before the event. I was, you know, came up to talk to you and and Eric and you guys invited me to sit down and talk to you guys. And I'm just like, holy shit, I'm sitting here talking to Eric fucking Bischoff. And it's just, it just, it just blew my mind. Is that something that happened to you like pretty frequently or, or how did it work for you? Yeah, listen, I've had that a lot through this process where it doesn't feel like this should be happening. Um, you know, there's so many of those moments that, that I've had. I, I've sort of started to position myself or refer to myself rather as like the Forrest Gump of wrestling. Like there's no reason <laughs> I the guy, you know, sort of kicking off or announcing that all elite wrestling is a thing, producing Chris Jericho. Like that should not be a thing. And I shouldn't have been involved in all in and, and, you know, the, the whole idea with Starcast probably should have never happened. And, you know, the, the something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard thing, not only did it blow up, but then we started to do live shows and people paid to come see it. And they booked us on European tours and put us on the network. And there's so many improbable things along the way. It's like, this can't be like a real thing, but, uh, yeah, I've been blessed and, 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 and it all comes from, I'm just a wrestling fan like everybody else. And so I think I'm 
maybe uniquely qualified compared to a lot of the other co-hosts out there for whatever reason it doesn't feel like there's a lot of sort of superstar co-host scenarios for podcasts where it feels like there's equal footing you know it's like the other guys just in the background yucking it up and that's that was my role on the rick flair show but i wanted to say let's let's go a little deeper not just like a surface hey how you been man type of interview but let's go really deep on one singular topic and not talk about what they're here to promote, but let's talk about something that happened way back when. And because we focused on a singular event that happened a long time ago, it became a nostalgia product. And those, I hate this word because it's a buzzword in marketing, but it allowed the shows to become evergreen. So in a weird way, no one will care about WrestleMania 36 in 10 more days, but for whatever reason, WrestleMania six will never get old. And, and that's just the way nostalgia works. And once I sort of harnessed that and understood it, it was easy to sort of rinse, lather, repeat and build myself a little network. I think what makes this show so listenable for me is just the fact that you are, you are a fan and, and that translates to me in a way that I think not a lot, not a lot of other podcasts do because you just are able to ask those questions that a lot of us have been curious about for years and it's you know whether it's you know something to wrestle or 83 weeks or your new podcast with Arn Anderson it's 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 all of these unique fascinating questions that you you come up with and one of the biggest things about that is the the just the sheer amount of research that you do for the shows and now that the shows have become more popular and more people are listening and uh, do you still have a is it just a small network of people that help you do the research is it just you tell me a little bit more about that process and and really what goes into it well that's that's been something that's been very fluid you know and in the initial days we weren't making any money this was all just love of the game so i would do all of the research actually there was no research up front it's just sort of shooting from the hip when rick and i were doing interviews i would probably spend three hours planning the questions and formatting it in a font where it was Big enough to read and, and easy enough to just sort of look down at a glance as a producer. And that, that seemed to work. Uh, and I wanted to take that same approach to something to wrestle, but Bruce didn't have a lot of confidence in what we were doing at first. So it was just me giving him a platform to tell stories without a lot of prep on my side. But once I saw the success of the radicals episode, I realized, wait a minute, I'm doing a disservice by not doing significant research and being prepared. And that's when I sort of changed my approach. And I thought the heavy lifting happens before I click record, not after. And so right. we really do a lot of research for Brian Pillman and the Vader episodes. And those two were back to back and we never look back. And right, I've had right. uh, a couple of guys who've helped me with notes over the years. The one who's been around for the longest time and most consistently is a guy named Chris out of Ohio. And Chris and I work really well together. I give him, you know, the topics months in advance. So he has plenty of time to, to do some research. Of course, we rely heavily on the observer and the torch. The observer is my go-to. If it's not available, we'll use the torch. And if there's shoot interviews, if there's other books out there, things like that, we want to pull from those as well, because we want to get their voice. And Paul bear never wrote a book, but he did do a lot of blogging. So we were able to pull a lot of that off of his old website and just sort of give the show his voice, which I think is very important. And then, you know, that that's one piece of the show. Uh, Dave Silva has always been sort of the third man on all of our shows. He does all the graphics and things like that for us. Uh, we've just signed up Evan Polisher. He's now running our Patreon at adfreeshows.com. Steve Kaufman runs all of our YouTube channels for all the shows. Um, any sort of fun video you've ever seen has always been from Chris McDonald out of Canada. He's like a, a super genius. Dave Green helps us with 
uh, all of the ad sales that advertise with Conrad. Uh, Dave Hancock handles all of my social media, and he's even started to help with some of my personal social media because my DMs are open, and he'll help me dig out of there and just sort of keep me on track. Uh, and I'm probably missing a few others, but yeah, we've got a pretty sizable team. We've got an accountant who, who keeps us straight there named, uh, Nam Win, and, uh, the list just continues to grow, man. But yeah, we're, we're constantly adding to, and, uh, the guys who sort of put together the shows after the fact are Joe, uh, Josephini and, uh, Matt Coon and Matt Coon is the guy who's done all of our theme songs and things like that. And I, I guess I got to give a lot of props to the whole thing as we've started to grow it to a, a group chat. I've got probably a dozen friends of mine that I've made through wrestling. None of them live local. All of them are scattered around the United States, but what brought us together was the love of wrestling or the love of wrestling belts or the love of collecting or the love of the podcast. And slowly, but surely, uh, that group has grown to now include our, our gimmick attorney that we reference on the show a lot. The trademark attorney, who's got a lot of heat with everybody in wrestling these days, Mr. Michael Dawkins. And yeah, that, that group chat has really been my soundboard. So I'll try things out in the group chat and if it makes everybody laugh and I'll use it on a show and I'll pitch, Hey, what do y'all think about this? And what about that? And I mean, just the, the whole concept of Starcast came from that show, you know, the name 83 weeks and the name Arn and the name grilling Jr. And so many of those things all came from that group chat. It's funny. You had me thinking the wheels were turning while you were talking. I was thinking about the, I can't remember which episode it was. We were talking about all the, uh, the cease and desist letters that you've been receiving over the course of the years. And I guess I was just curious, is it something that like, uh, you, Vince is like, God damn it, Bruce, you can't use this. Or is it, is it just something that's theme music or, or what, what would be the piece that you would say would be the biggest thing that gets you guys those cease and desist letters? I've, I've been curious about that. No, you know, we, we Bruce is Vince's right-hand man, so they don't care about songs, and, and we've never edited one thing off of a show. There's never been anything that we had to go back and clip out. Uh, that That's just not something we do. We click record, and it's live to tape. That being said, if we stumble with the pronunciation of an ad you know, for a sponsor, then I have to clean that up and make sure it's right. But but outside of that, you don't know. Everything's exactly as it is. The cease and desist only started with um, StarCast. You know, and, and the first time I recorded Starcast was on the WWE Network, but at the time, nobody knew what it was or what it was going to be. And certainly because they didn't know what it was or what it could be or would be, they didn't view it as a threat. And, you know, I, I've always had a good relationship. And I think for whatever reason, because I do have so many friends in AEW, people assume that I'm at odds with WWE, but I, I'm very fin- friendly with Vince and I've met Vince and uh, he's, he would consider me a friend and vice versa. And he's a nice guy, but we don't have some sort of contentious relationship. However, if some of my graphics guys unknowingly used uh, a graphic that was a WWE copyrighted image and the talent had provided it to us and they positioned it as if they owned it, then yeah, I'm going to get a cease and desist. And I got enough of those now that I've got a wobbly table in my basement, in my game room. <laughs> I stick those cease and desist underneath that one leg. Now it's good to go. It's it's good. To go. <laughs> That's amazing, man. Yeah, I guess for whatever reason, I just you just assume uh, uh, wrongly it seems, and and I don't know why I ever had the assumption in my head that that you were at odds with Vince McMahon. I don't know where I would have even come up with that, but uh, it is good to know that you two are on friendly terms, and it just it makes it a whole lot cooler now listening to it. But I kind of wanted to talk about something again real fast, just to to tie it up before we jump into something about Starcast. Was uh, you know looking back and it. it the beginnings of the podcast and the beginnings of the show, uh, something to wrestle with rather. Uh, do you think that you 
would say that you were the most surprised about this, or do you think the the surprise was mostly you know for Bruce and from Bruce about uh, about the popularity of the show that people actually were interested in in what he was talking about? Well, for Bruce, you know, wrestling was in his rearview mirror. He felt like you know, wrestling was done with him. So he was going to, I'll show you wrestling. You know, I don't need you. And so he, you know, wrestling turned his back on him. That's what he felt. And so he tried to, he tried very hard to turn his back on it. And so, you know, when we were working together on some commercial projects, you know, we were just randomly at the end of the day, I would say, Hey man, what happened when, and I would ask a question and he would ramble on and he's such a great storyteller and he knows exactly how to, you know, pique your interest and build towards, you know, the big payoff, but he also knows how to tell it in a funny manner. So he can throw the funny voices in there and things like that. And I thought, man, this is a wrestling podcast rather than just have, you know, Jay lethal on this week, to talk about the ring of honor pay-per-view and Al snow next week, to talk about his new book. And by the way, I love both of those guys. I'm just saying when Jay lethal is, is on, a ring of honor World champion, he's got to do a lot of media today to promote his pay-per-view match coming up. So he's going to not just be on our podcast. He's going to be 15 other places. And, and now snow is not just going to do our podcast to promote his book. He's going to be 15 other places. So if you're a wrestling fan, you've got 15 different ways to listen to an Al snow interview this month, because he's got a new book coming out. That's not going to make you stand out or make you successful or drive downloads. However, if we can go deep on survivor series, 1990, well, who else can tell that story? You know, Vince, Bruce and Pat and, and the other two aren't. And Bruce felt like, Hey, uh, that's in my rear view mirror. So I came up with the idea. I can use this to sell mortgages and you can use this to sell t-shirts. It's a home run. And he's like, nobody's buying my t-shirts. I'm like, well, they will because you're going to call them when they buy a shirt. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm going to call them. I said, you're going to call and thank them for buying t-shirts. It's going to take you two minutes, but you're going to make, you know, 10 or 15 bucks profit and be on to the next one. And he's like, oh, fuck, that's genius. Let's do it. So we did it. And before you know it, he was one of the top sellers on pro wrestling tees. And I went from being licensed in 13 states to 40 something states. And now he's with WWE and I'm doing your show. So he got the better end of this. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I know my brother, Matt, will be very happy to know uh, how much you enjoy being here. But uh, thank you. Thank you for the compliment. All right. Let's just uh, let's jump into StarCast. Uh, I have a lot of questions about that, but I think the biggest one, uh, you know, you've had a lot of really cool uh, panels and different things that have happened. You know, there's, there's been everything from the Bret Hart, Tom McGee panel to, you know, CM Punk uh, uh, doing something in wrestling. Uh, what would you say was the biggest shock and the biggest uh prize and i guess the, the 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 one that that was most fascinating for you and the one that was that made you the most excited uh about being there well i mean the biggest get we ever had for sure was cm punk you know the internet melted that day and he was sort of the white whale and i was really struggling after two because i had the undertaker and i had the roast to rick flair and man those were going to be really really hallmark events i mean we even had pay-per-view clearances so you could watch the Ric Flair roast on Comcast and on Charter and on DirecTV and on Dish. And so we had a live satellite truck coming to you live from Caesars Palace. And all that collapsed when he was hospitalized that week. And at first, we didn't think it was going to be a big deal. And he, it would be routine and he'd be right out. And that was not the case. So uh, I was left scrambling, you know, after WWE pulled Undertaker and essentially gave him a lifetime contract with a raise from what I hear. Uh, and I've yet to get my finder's fee on that. My number one question going into that, once I knew they pulled the undertaker, even before the second Starcast happened is who's the biggest guest I can get for Starcast three in Chicago. 
that WWE cannot pull. And the answer was CM Punk. So we started negotiating. I'm going to say in April, really hot and heavy. And you know, it was probably July before it happened. Uh, yeah, it was early. It was mid July. And so when it happened, that gave me, you know, six or seven weeks to really push it hard and maybe not as much time as I would have liked to have had, but we bounced back in a big way. And Starcast three was the smoothest, easiest, most enjoyable wrestling experience I've had as a, as a quote unquote promoter. And a lot of it was because of CM Punk. He was just such a class individual, so easy to do business with such a polite person, very professional. I just, I can't recommend it enough. And I know he doesn't do a lot of stuff like this, but it was in his backyard and it was easy. And I don't know, it was positioned properly and I guess it worked out. He wound up getting a WWE gig and, and he's, he's happy. And, and by the way, his movie's great too. That girl on the third floor, I think it's on Netflix now. It's really, really fun. Yeah. I mean, it definitely did exactly what it was designed to do. And I think it's just, it's a really fascinating and compelling watch. If, if you haven't had a chance to watch it, uh, I would definitely recommend going and checking it out. And all the Starcast, they're all available on, on fight, fight TV, right? That's where you can find everything streaming now at this point. Yeah, it's all there, but I would recommend you watch it at adfreeshows.com. It's a little cheaper, a little more affordable, but uh, all of the live shows that we've ever done uh, that we recorded are, are loaded up there, but also, too, all the stage shows from StarCast 1, 2, 3, and 4. So if you want the CM Punk one or you want the Dean Ambrose one, uh, or, or you, and I, I really thought one of the sleeper things was that we were able to find you know, Jim Crockett, not just David Crockett, but Jim Crockett on stage for the first time. I mean, he never does anything like this. So it was a really a home run deal to, to score that one. And, and we were excited to have him. So all that is available now at adfreeshows.com. Yeah, it really is a great site, adfreeshows.com. I can't recommend it enough. I am a subscriber myself, part of the Patreon team. Um, uh, but I did actually get a chance to really listen to the Eric Bischoff uh, 83 week special you did where it was his, you guys covered his most recent WWE run. It's just fascinating stuff. I love all that granular information. Uh, it kind of leads me into my next question. Has there ever been a topic where like Bruce or Eric or even Tony has said to you like, nah, man, that's, uh, that's totally off limits. We're not, we're not going there. Yeah. Nobody really ever says, no, we absolutely cannot. Uh, I mean, Tony's never said anything like that. Tony's an open book. And, uh, for the most part, Eric is too, you know, there's certain, legalities in play with certain situations where he can't legally talk about something for X amount of time. And we have to be respectful or mindful of those and Bruce. Yeah. There's a handful of things that he would rather not talk about, but it's not from a, um, I'm afraid I'm going to get sued standpoint. It's just, I don't want to, I don't want to go there. I don't want to relive that, you know, like the death of own heart. He doesn't want to talk about that. And that's, you know, it's one thing for a lot of people to say, Oh, you talked about it with Jr. Yeah, I get that. But, JR approaches things a little differently and JR, um, while he was at ringside, he wasn't, you can find pictures of Bruce standing right there with Owen. So I get when you're there watching it happen, that's not something you want to talk about and monetize on a podcast. I get it. So I don't press on things like that. If he didn't, I mean, Bruce gives us so much. If there's one thing here, or there, he doesn't want to talk about who the fuck am I to press him for it. So we'll just lay out and do something else that week. Yeah, I totally get it. I mean, especially something as brutal and, and awful as, as Owen Hart. I, I can't imagine anybody would really want to ever relive that. But uh, trying to transition into something a little bit easier, I know that by trade you are a mortgage broker. And given the current climate with everything that's happening with the coronavirus, I was just curious on your take with uh, with mortgages and things that are going to be happening, especially with the economy now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I 
think I read something recently where the Fed decided they were going to cut interest rates to 0% or 0.25%. Am I, am I on point with that? Or is that something that uh, that's different than, than, than what I've read? Yeah. That doesn't have anything to do with mortgage rates. You know, most Americans assume that that's the same thing, but that's what, that's an overnight interest rate that banks use. And that's not your actual mortgage rates. Your mortgages are usually based on two things, your mortgage servicing rights and your MBS, your mortgage backed securities. So mortgage backed security is, is essentially something you can track with the 10 year bond. And so from an investor standpoint, you usually try to figure out, Hey, where's, where can I get the most return for my money? And when they view the stock market as being volatile or perhaps risky, and they don't want to lose money, they'll go with a more little slow and steady approach and they'll buy and support the 10 year bond. So when there's more money coming in the 10 year bond, then that means we have more money to lend. And if we have more money to lend, how do we make sure we use it all? We reduce interest rates. Uh, so what happened is we, we saw a huge influx of applications, probably the biggest we've had in more than a decade in early March, but fast forward just a week later, when the United States signed their $2 trillion stimulus package, it absolutely obliterated and the, and they dropped the interest rates to zero. The combination of both of those absolutely obliterated the value of mortgage servicing because, and, and again, wow. you have to appreciate why would someone loan you let's call it $250,000 for 30 years at 0% interest. Who wants to do that? True, I mean, true. you have to appreciate that a real investor is putting their money in that a real person, a human is saying, Hey, I'm going to invest my money in this rather than invested in GE or Apple or Amazon or whatever. I'm going to invest my money in 30 year mortgages. Okay, cool. But what kind of return am I going to get? Well, zero. Well, now all of a sudden there's no appetite for that. So because the rate was so low and they had just agreed to purchase so many mortgage backed securities, it took away it, investors thought, well, nobody's going to want to keep these loans. We don't want to buy them anymore. So all of a sudden the rates that were just at an all time historic low shot way up. And now even still what three weeks later, it's still very, very funky. And with every passing yeah, day, yeah. it's a little more normal. But stuff like jumbo loans, which were very common just a month ago, those have all but went away. Uh, a lot of uh, credit unions have decided to just stop doing government loans like VA and FHA completely. They just don't do them at all anymore. And those wow. who still do it, they've changed their credit score requirements. Maybe last week or, or last month, they could do down to a 620. Now they're at a 660. For some reason, I've still got investors who will purchase our FHA business down as low as 580 but your rate's going to be higher and you're probably going to have to pay a discount point, which you didn't have to do just a month ago. You would have got a phenomenal rate. And now you're going to get a little higher rate. So it's very volatile uh, and, and with unemployment growing by leaps and bounds every week, you, it's usually an indicator that we're heading for another housing crisis. Now this one would be event driven and not something we sort of did to ourselves, you know, with, with the, the prior collapse in 08, we essentially did it to ourselves with, with bad loan products that were being sold. We weren't selling bad loan products here. We're selling government loans. The difference is now with all this massive unemployment and there being no, no value in the mortgage servicing rates are higher. And I, I can't tell you how many times this month we've gotten someone effectively clear to close. So we've locked their loan. We've underwritten it. We're ready to go to closing and we go to verify their employment. And we learned they've been laid off. Well, at that oh, point, I can't Jesus. proceed with the loan. Like they can't right, close the right. loan because they have to prove the ability to repay. When will they get their job back? Who knows? But whatever they do, 
their rate lock has expired. I'll have to underwrite it again and I'll have to quote them a higher rate. And I hope they're not late while they're laid off. So it's going to be really, really challenging for a long time. And I don't think enough people are really talking about that, but you usually see a delay in what's happening. So the stock market is really a forecast of what will happen. It's not, it's not a scoreboard or a scorecard of what has happened. It's sort of giving you an eye or a glimpse into the future where you're betting on whether these companies will do better. And if you're betting on them doing better then their stock value goes up, but real estate is sort of in arrears, meaning if the stock market took a major dump a month ago, it could be a year before we see it in the real estate world where we start to see more foreclosures and people losing value in their homes and things like that. And the other thing that a lot of people are opting for right now, they don't really understand. And that's a forbearance. Let me explain what I mean. Let's say your house payment is $1,500 a month and you're struggling right now. So you call your company and you say, Hey, I need some help. I've been laid off. Is there a way that you could help me, you know, not have to make a house payment? And they'll say, sure. How would you like to not make a house payment for the next three months? Oh, that will be great. Well, on month four, you don't just owe a month's payment. You owe all four. So in a month or in four months, you don't owe 1500. Now you owe 1500 for every single month you missed plus, plus that month's payment. Well, if you don't have that, now you're going to be reported as being late on your mortgage and I can't help you. So Jesus. The, the, the worst thing you could do, in my opinion, unless you have something that's going to happen in a major way for you and in a, in a positive cash flow windfall is to go into a forbearance agreement, just assuming, oh, well, I don't have to make my house payment for three months. That's not the case. You're going to have to catch that up uh, because and here's the, here's the reason why, by the way, if you're making your mortgage payment to me right now and I say, yeah, I'll let you skip your next three months. I still have to make your payment for you. Your, your payment is, is guaranteed by the government, and I still have to pay the government every month, even though you're not. And I can afford to do that for three months, but after that, I'm going to need you to pay me all of it back. Right, and if you right. can't afford to pay all of it back, I've got to take your house. So it's, it's a bad situation that a lot of people just don't really understand. My advice would be get a home equity line of credit, and I've been saying that for a long time. Just have access to it. Don't use it unless you need it. It's in case of emergency. You need to have three to six months of personal bills set aside in a savings account that you don't touch. You need to have your credit cards paid down to zero and, and get the biggest limits you can get and just hang on to them just in case. Because if you had all of those things, man, you're going to be sitting pretty. You could probably float for six, 12, 18 months and with no income coming in and just make draws off of credit cards and use your, your savings that you built up to cover three to six months worth of your bills. And then of course you still got your home equity line of credit, which is not only a better rate than all the others, but also tax deductible. But if you weren't ready for that, you might be in trouble right now. And, and that's going to spell disaster for a lot of people in their homes, you know, probably 12 months from now. So I guess a good follow-up to that would be comparatively to the 2008 financial crisis and the, the housing crash and everything that happened then, uh, in severity, in terms of severity, how bad do you think it's going to be? Do you think it's going to be better? Do you think it's going to be about the same? Or do you think it's going to be much, much worse given the, the current circumstances? Well, the answer depends on how long we're in this sort of rut we're in right now. You know, if this is something that we can pull the nose up on and things get back to normal and in two months, then no, it won't be, it won't be that bad and we'll be okay. But if this is the way, you know, like noted, uh, super genius and scientist Howard Stern says this is going <laughs> to months, and if this lasts eighteen months, it will absolutely be disaster, and 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 as bad or perhaps worse than two thousand eight. But I don't think that's realistic. I mean, 
I, I am cautiously optimistic that things are going to be back to normal. I mean, I looked at a model uh, exactly one week ago today, and it said that Alabama was going to have, uh, by the middle of April, so maybe five, six, seven days from now, we were going to have a 127,000 bed shortage in hospitals. So there would be 127,000 sick people who didn't have beds. Well, the new model says uh, at its peak next week, whenever, whatever day that's supposed to be, uh, we'll have 5,200 extra beds than we, that we don't actually need and aren't being used. And in addition to that, some of the things that I think people have forgotten when they were doing those models, not to get on that soapbox, is people aren't doing other stuff. So you're like elective surgeries right now. Those aren't happening. And you're drinking and driving and car crashes. A lot of that stuff's not happening at the rate it normally might. Uh, sporting events and, and, and subsequent injuries from that, that's not happening right now. So hospitals like here in Huntsville, we just, our, our major hospital just laid off a whole bunch of people. Like more than a thousand folks just got laid off from Huntsville Hospital. And that's not what you're hearing in the news. It's like, oh my God, we're overwhelmed. Well, that's not always the case. Like enough real life stuff has just ground to a halt that they have the capacity now. So that is very, very encouraging and makes me think that maybe we are done with this, you know, by the end of May, but I still think it'll be a while before things are a little more normal from a, a sporting event or a wrestling standpoint. I mean, we're probably August, September, October, November. I mean, we could be into next year before that's normal again, because I think a lot of fans and a lot of companies will view it as perhaps a liability or a risk. If there is no vaccine to have that many people in the same room at the same time. It's funny you said that. I was actually just going to say the same thing. I think we're going to be well into the fall before we even get close to anything that resembles any kind of normalcy in this country. You can basically write baseball off at this point. I mean, that whole season's fucked right now, right? We'll be lucky if we get half of a football season, but I'm not really holding my breath for any of that. So it's going to be very interesting to watch this play out over the next couple of months and and to see where it goes. But one thing I did want to tie back to real fast was just about the you know the housing market and things that are happening. My, my buddy Lane's a big financial guy, and he wanted me to ask you what your thoughts were on REITs and if you thought that they would be would become a solid investment if the housing market does suffer. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Man, it's, it's too, it's too early. We should mention REIT is a real estate investment trust. Uh, a lot of guys who, who have income producing properties, that's their house. I think that if folks who are already established, who already have those lines of credit and banker relationships, I think those guys are going to thrive. I think if you're, trying to just get your feet wet and get started, it's probably going to be an uphill battle because banks are going to be a little more hesitant to, uh, to lend to folks who don't have a proven track record. Let's go back and we'll talk a little bit more about the adfreeshows.com and even tie it back to ECW. Uh, something that I really am enjoying listening to right now is the Dark Side of the Ring content you've been releasing with the producers of the show. Uh, it's a great documentary. It's on season two uh, on Vice. Uh, what was the most fascinating thing for you that you learned during the New Jack episode? I mean, I imagine you probably knew a lot about him already, but like, what was something that you thought was fascinating that maybe you didn't know before? Well, you know, it's hard for me to say on New Jack because New Jack and Brawl for All and Chris Benoit, I had already studied so extensively. You know, the the best part of series of season two so far to me has been hearing from Daniel Benoit and hearing from Nancy's sister. You know, those are, are mm -hmm. two subjects that are not what I would call sort of overexposed. 
And I, I was such a hardcore ECW fan. I knew all about New Jack, and I still feel like New Jack is a character. And I do think that New Jack is um, a flawed individual. I mean, he is such an entertainer, but at the same time, you know, they're trying to examine where does Jerome Young end and where does New Jack begin. And I don't think anybody has an answer to that, even New Jack himself. So that, that part is, is very interesting if you're sort of not familiar with the person and the story and the character. But if you are, it, uh, the best part to me was talking to the guys who created it about, you know, how it was put together. But I'm also the type of guy who, you know, yes, I watch wrestling, but I want to read the Wrestling Observer newsletter and I want to know how they made it. And I also watch shows like how it's made. So I'm very interested in, in the behind the scenes mechanics of how these things come to be from a production standpoint and just logistics. So that, that has been maybe the best part of, uh, the podcast that we're doing dark side of the podcast right now. But I do think that this coming week with uh, Superfly, it's, yeah. it's going to be, I've had, I've had an opportunity to see it and there really? are two or three things that there's two things that if you're a hardcore fan, you know, or you've heard about, it's another to see it on a television series and see it depicted. And there's one little detail that I think is revealed for the very first time in here. That's going to get a lot of people talking and there are going to be a lot of people who are not happy about it. Wow. Well, that might be the best fucking tease we've ever had on the show before. Uh, yeah, I've really actually been looking forward to this Jimmy Snuka episode. I'm, I'm very curious about the story. I know parts of it, but I don't know all of it. But the other one I'm really looking forward to outside of the Owen Hart episode is is the Dino Bravo, I think, which comes on uh, next week after Snuka. I, I remember watching him as a when I was a kid and watching him wrestle. I was fascinated by him, uh, but I remember him dying pretty violently, if I recall. And the story is just so crazy. It involves this insane cigarette running operation with the mafia. And I mean, it's, it's a pretty wild story. So if you get a chance to watch it, I would definitely recommend these and go back into the, the vault and, and check out the season one. I mean, it's really a lot of amazing stuff in there. They talk about the macho man, Randy Savage and Elizabeth, and they talk about the fabulous Moolah and Bruiser Brody and there's just all kinds of great, great information in there, especially for for someone who's an avid pro wrestling fan like me. So uh, now that that show airs on Vice, and is that is that on Monday nights or Tuesday nights? I can't remember. Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern. If you're like me and you have Directv, it's channel 271. Absolutely cannot wait to check that out. So definitely uh, take a look at your local cable provider and find out where that's at. But one thing I want to do before we wrapped up here today, I wanted to just shoot a couple of rapid fire questions at you. And if you wouldn't mind indulging me through this, um, first things first, what is your all time favorite wrestling match? Oh man, that's hard. Pretty consistent. Though. <laughs> it's been, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart from WrestleMania 13. Great choice. Uh, favorite WrestleMania. You know, that's, that's a really difficult one. You know, part of me, the little kid in me says WrestleMania six and doesn't have to think about it. Um, but then I got to tell you, I just watched WrestleMania 21 again, uh, for the first time in a long time. And I think that's probably the sleeper. So as an adult, probably WrestleMania 21, uh, as a kid, WrestleMania six, and as a fan who was actually there live, uh, WrestleMania 30 was, was pretty doggone special. Worst match of all time. Maybe kennel in the cell. That's tough to say. <sighs> God, not great stuff. God, that match fucking sucked. I see. I thought you were going to go with Judy Bagwell on a pole. Yeah, but I think that can Judy Bagwell on the pole is just funny to sort of giggle at. I don't know that it's actually that bad. WCW or ECW? Oh, ECW all day. Fixed rate or adjustable rate mortgage? 
Never an adjustable rate. Never ever do an adjustable rate and never ever do a 30-year loan. Favorite championship belt? Um, the dual-plated winged eagle. So, you know, the one from WrestleMania 5 or WrestleMania yep. 4 with uh, Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man. So it's going to be nickel and gold. Uh, I just think that's the most beautiful belt ever, followed by the big gold belt. Matt from Dover asked, did you ever get the three-man tag belt from Tony Schiavone? No, and I never will. Coronavirus <laughs> coming in before I ever get that belt. <laughs> oh, man. Out of these three people, who is the most likely to go into the WWE Hall of Fame? Scott Steiner, Sabu, or Taz? Uh, well, Taz won't go as long as he's working for e- uh, ECW. I mean, AEW. I'll get it right. Um, Got to be Scott Steiner, which feels like that's a tough sell right now, but... Uh, I mean, because I was there a few years ago when he allegedly had an incident with Hulk Hogan at the airport. I was at that Hall of Fame, and there really were pictures of him backstage uh, posted on the wall, like, don't let this man enter. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's probably the the toughest. I mean, Taz is on good good terms with him, but I think just on general principle, they won't put him on stage as long as he's with AEW. So I got to think it's probably Scott Steiner, and I think that he wouldn't go in as a solo. He would go in with his brother as Steiner Brothers. Right, that makes sense. Uh, NWO or Degeneration X? NWO all day, every day, and it ain't close. <laughs> and then the final question is, and I think everybody really wants to know, why the fuck won't Bruce answer how big Batista's dick is? He probably never saw it. Just pre- <laughs> yeah. So I, mean, I know that's become a really fun question, and Lord knows I have fun answering it, but I never expect a real answer. I don't think, A, he's ever seen it, and B, if he did, he, he certainly didn't whip out uh, a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Conrad Thompson, for joining me today on Foundation Radio. I really appreciate it. This is really just a super cool thing for me to do, and this con- I've been waiting for this conversation for a while. So, thank you so much. Uh, something good has come from this uh, this entire quarantine. Um, but I'd love for you guys to all go out and check out Conrad's content uh, starting on Monday, Monday through Friday. He's got a new show pretty much every week, uh, every day of the week rather, uh, starting on Mondays with uh, eighty three weeks with Eric Bischoff. What happened when with Tony Schiavone? Uh, the Arn Show with Arn Anderson. Grillin JR with Jim Ross and then something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Uh, you can also check out a bunch of exclusive content, everything from the Dark Side of the Ring podcast with the producers of the show to all of the backlog of all the amazing events on StarCast, including that really cool CM Punk one. And you can find all that stuff right at adfreeshows.com uh, and go support them today in what they do. And then also, if you're looking for uh, you know mortgage needs or if you're looking for refi, you can go right to savewithconrad.com. And uh, you are, I think you are licensed in Pennsylvania. You're right for some of our listeners. Absolutely. We're in more than 40 states, adding to all the time, and we'll be uh, thrilled to have your business. But the, the easy thing is to just get a quick quote. Let us run the numbers, and if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. And, again, you can get approved down to a 580, and right now everybody uh, would probably enjoy a little vacation from house payments. So there's no house payments for two months right now, which probably couldn't come at a better time. Conrad Thompson, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. No, thank you. <laughs> Foundation Radio is recorded and produced by Adam Barnard and Sam Kreps. Our intro and outro is produced by Dumb Ugly. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. 
Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash foundation radio pod. This has been a Foundation Radio production.